Hey everybody, thanks again for downloading our podcast. We are so thrilled that you continue to listen to this show and we thank you profusely. Today's show is brought to you as always by Zephyr Wellness. Check out zephyrwellness.org to find out more about what we do and also by Audible. If you haven't discovered the joy of audiobooks, Check out Audible by going to audibletrial.com slash notes. You can get a free 30-day trial there, and it helps us out. It helps you out by expanding and enriching your noggin with all sorts of cool information. You get a free audiobook when you go to that trial webpage, audibletrial.com slash notes. And with that audiobook, you can obviously enjoy yourself, but also keep it, even if you decide to end your free trial. That's audibletrial.com slash notes. This week's interview is with Matt Dutcher, who is a is a friend of mine now. He's graduated, and um, <laughs> I think we started off more as a mentor-protege relationship when he was an undergraduate in college, and uh, I was swinging by the fraternity to do these uh, psychological talks to the undergraduates, and they all found them fairly enjoyable, I think, and uh, Matt found his way to working for us as a volunteer doing his internship for his undergraduate studies and then now he's graduated and he's moved on with life and he's doing some really cool stuff so we talked about that we talked about leadership and we talked about uh lots of ways that we can grow and help grow others and uh, i found it enjoyable so hope you will too with all that being said let's begin so today's interview consists of me chatting with my buddy matt dutcher hello matt hello jake uh, you're going to want to come a little forward when you a say bit that. Closer. Yeah, yeah, and speak up. It's uh, we're not in church. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. And you've been doing some really cool stuff, traveling around on behalf of our fraternity. We we share a fraternity, although we're about a generation and, mm-hmm. and a half apart. And you're doing something called regional director for the fraternity, which basically goes around and mentors different chapters and that and that sort of thing. But I wanted to talk to you today about the concept of leadership, particularly leadership among young men, college-age students, and what you're seeing, how you translate those skills from, from when you were in college to, to what you're doing now and so forth. But before we get into that, why don't you introduce yourself and let us know who you are. Yeah, my name's Matt Dutcher. I am 22 years old, just recently graduated from the University of Nevada, Reno, with a degree in human development and family studies. My years in college were great mostly because I had a lot of great mentors to guide me along the way, Jake being one of them. I took part in student government and took some leadership roles within my fraternity and with some nonprofit organizations throughout the Reno community. Good intro. So what are you doing now? Explain this regional directorship better than I did. Yeah, a regional director for Sigma Phi Epsilon fraternity works with a portfolio of X amount of chapters in a certain region of the country. My region is the Southwest, so California and Arizona. I work between 16 different chapters and help them really optimize their processes and also make sure that everything is running smoothly with the chapter, working mostly with the chapter's leadership, but also trying to work with the general membership as well. What are some of the goals and targets that you're working on right now? For our fraternity, I can't speak to other fraternities, but for our fraternity, one of the big pieces that we focus on is member development. We have a different developmental model than a lot of other chapters. Instead of having this, what some developmental models are called a pledge model, which is uh, one semester and done, we continuously develop and have equal rights and responsibilities across all of our members. 
So it's for me really exciting because it's a breakthrough process and I've enjoyed working on that change throughout the system and seeing a lot of the benefits that it can provide. When I went through, it was called the Balanced Man Program. Still called that, right? Yeah. So yeah. what's different, I think for the listening audience to appreciate, because you hear something like member development, and if you're not familiar with modern uh, Greek life, you may you know, recall movies such as Animal House where it's you know, uh, getting whacked with a paddle and that kind of thing. And, and that really doesn't go on anymore. There's a lot of anti-hazing laws that have compelled it through law. But our fraternity back in 1991 originated this Balanced Man Program because it realized that that model of top-down authoritarianism, including violence, uh, just doesn't work. It's it's not humane. It's not um, conducive to, to actual leadership. And so there's multiple stages of this development, and it is a true development. We're not like developing you through violence and, and compulsion anymore. Uh, we're developing you because we want to turn you into a, a, a leader, a, a gentleman, a scholar. So um, share with us the, the different steps, because I know what they are, but this is this is me interviewing you, and I want you to talk about it because it's more hip anyway. It's, it's not any fun to hear the old guy talk about the, the glory days, but um, share those steps and, and what each one entails and, and what the end product is. To, to go there, I'd like to start with the history and the, the genesis of the Balanced Man Program. And if my memory serves correctly, it started from a committee that our national board had on self-esteem of men in college and a lot of what we saw at that point in time were a lot of men were killing themselves in college and there were the suicide rate was pretty high especially amongst fraternity men so we tried to figure out what that was and came to the conclusion that it could be from self-esteem and part of what was bringing down men's self-esteem in college specifically in the greek system was this pledge model development you don't say yeah breaking people down to build them up as it's sometimes explained in other fraternities yeah and that's and that's not true i mean you, we think of that in terms of the military uh system too but but in the military there's an end goal which is you want a, a real wholesome person who's going to be able to do a job at the end of the day and they're not breaking them down to a breaking point that robs them of all their dignity which is what a lot of the fraternity systems were doing uh in the military as i understand I, i've never enlisted um but i have several friends who have and the report is that they what they do is they strip away your your preconceived beliefs so that you fall into line with what the culture of the organization is. That's not what was going on in the Greek system. No, and the the whole genesis of hazing in the Greek system came from when the military men came back from World War II and started joining fraternities specifically because they needed housing. Because of the GI Bill, there was this uh, surplus of students and a deficit of student housing. So a lot of a lot of people coming back from the war ended up joining Greek system or Greek chapters, and then with that came hazing. And if you think about how harsh the military might be during basic training, there's another end goal to it, and that's because you're going to war. You're going to fight a war, and this is a, a very extreme circumstances that real life does not have. Uh, not to say real life, that not supposed to invalidate the military. Um, it's true, though. I mean, I mean, yeah. war war doesn't happen to most people, right? Right. We don't we don't yeah. raise our hands and voluntarily enter into combat zones. Whereas that's exactly what you do when you join up with the armed forces. 
Right. So you got there is a there is a component of training there. And when I mm-hmm. teach emotional functioning, I teach that you know most people are trained through developmental stages to tolerate certain levels of emotion. And this is why we get people coming back from combat who've experienced PTSD. Right. And it used to be called something. Uh, it used to be called something along the lines of shell shock mm-hmm. um, or uh, you know war fatigue. There's been different names over time. Now we've got a diagnosis called post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, you can get PTSD from a variety of ways, but certainly watching violence perpetrated through combat is, is one of them. Mm-hmm. And, and I, that was the original idea is, well, we'll desensitize you to this, right? But but then they came back, and, they, and then what? Like, you don't need to be desensitized to, to living, so fill in the gaps there for us. Yeah, part of, part of what hazing or just harsh development creates is solidarity between a group, which for the military is really important. Uh, there's a there's a phrase in the military that I've heard is that you're not fighting for politics and maybe sometimes not even fighting for your country, but you're fighting for the person that's next to you. And that's that kind of solidarity that basic training creates. When the military came back and military men started to join Greek chapters, they brought that idea of solidarity into the Greek system. And what we've seen is over time that just we're developing people to go on and be titans of industry or even just having a career uh being someone uh, a family member but not for war so it's just not really conducive to what civilian life would be so what SIGEP did was turn that that idea of solidarity on its head and create a developmental model that was conducive to individual development so you're not going through as a class, quote-unquote. You're going through as an individual and really finding out what your, your best opportunities for growth are within this developmental system and capitalizing on that. So the bond is no longer with a, quote-unquote, pledge class. Like you said, I mean, people can't see your air quotes because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's audio. But, um, mm-hmm. but they were up there. Um, and it's not the group of people with whom you joined in that one semester. It's, it's really with the whole chapter. Right. And, you're, and you're integrating as you go, and it's this process that bends most people's minds because it's been around for 70 years, the old mm-hmm. model. And now, you know, Sigma Phi Epsilon comes along and introduces this new model and says, hey, just, just recruit year-round, do, do away with the, the quote-unquote pledge classes, and just integrate people into the, into the culture of the chapter as a whole, and that becomes your bond. Right. That, that's accurate, right? Right. I, the way that I commonly describe it is instead of solidarity, we're creating community. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So what are these stages now? You don't have a one-end stage of a hell week anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the, uh, the Sigma Challenge, the Phi Challenge, the Epsilon Challenge. That goes with the letters. And then there's uh, Brother Mentor, and then there's right. Fellow. Uh, what, do, what do these stages represent, and how, how far can you take something like this? Yeah, it's, it's hard to, to put them into a box, and you don't really want to because each chapter, each campus is different, and they have their own spin on it and how it capitalizes to their student needs. If you take... A student at a state school who maybe works 40 hours a week and commutes to campus, it's a lot different than a student at Stanford that lives on campus and spends 80 hours a week doing schoolwork. So each chapter has their own take on it. But to sum it up, essentially, the Sigma Challenge would be your introduction to the chapter, the university, and the community. And helping you bear your get your bearings in college so that you can be successful for the next four or however many years to come. The, the Phi Challenge focuses on, a lot on personal development, and then the Epsilon Challenge takes a lot, a lot of personal development, furthers it, and then also focuses on professional development up until the Brother Mentor Challenge, where ideally it's about giving back to the chapter, preparing to be an alumni who can give back to the chapter, and then focusing a lot on professional development, because that's typically when members are gearing up to graduate. 
what are some benchmarks that people can set? So if, because I want to take this away from, you know, just an advertisement for the fraternity and, and move it into something more generally applicable for our listening audience. If they happen to be, uh, I love the phrase Titans of industry. Um, but you know, leaders of organizations or even just leaders in their own households, what types of, um, quantifiable, observable, uh, goals or objectives do you, do you lay out for these, these young men in those challenges? Again, hard to say because each each chapter is different, each campus is different, but the the five ways that we talk about development, there's five different areas of development that we've classified. The first is fraternity, so we call it SIGEP. Outside of that, there are the other four areas of development are really really applicable to anyone in college, anyone that's looking to further themselves in and after college. And those four areas of development are intellectual, physical health and wellness, professional and leadership and those four areas where we've seen people succeed in in growing in their growth and development and specifically these these men in their chapters the ones that are getting the most out of their developmental experience are the ones that come from chapters that capitalize on these four areas so we're looking at maybe things like um joining an organization outside the fraternity um obviously academic excellence is one uh, measurement um Community involvement, maybe community service, yeah. and then probably rising to the, you know, away from just simply being a participant in an organization to being a leader, mm-hmm. uh, and then the the giving back would probably be taking, you know, say you're 21, 22, 23 years old, and as a senior, taking some freshmen under your wing, that kind of thing. That's like the mm-hmm. evolution of development. That's what I was asking about, like observable benchmarks, because if if you're listening to this and it sounds all very, you know, good and inspiring, mm-hmm. and but it's also very ethereal. Um, if we can make it a little more concrete, what can people do in their own lives to know that they are quote unquote personally developing? Right. There is taking from a high level, taking away from join an organization, take a leadership position. Some of the, some of the really quantifiable things that I've enjoyed seeing chapters work on are things like car maintenance 101. How do you change a car tire? How do you change your oil? How do you know what to look after in your car and to keep good car care? Things that I wish that I had learned when I was in high school and I don't know and things that if it weren't for this experience, I wouldn't know graduating college. You take that and you can amplify it in leadership development, having a public speaking class and having a comm professor come in and talk to our men about what are some common pitfalls, what are some areas of opportunity for everyone, but also having people actually go up and try these things and and get some reps in in what these different areas of development are. So it doesn't really matter what the areas are. What matters is that you're expanding yourself and your own right. personal development. And this is expected to continue what through life, I guess. Mm-hmm. If you if you set the habits in place early, then they will, uh, you know, presumably. And what is your role then now? So I, I want to hear a comparison between you just graduated in May. We're recording this in December, so you've been six months ish on the mm-hmm. road. Um, what, what are the differences you're seeing between being in the, the, I guess the incubator of college itself as a, as a participant and then stepping outside that realm and yet entering back into it as an outsider? What, what are you seeing here? What I've seen for my personal self coming from a chapter and a chapter that I was a leader in and then graduating, I've seen my priorities change my, the things that I thought were important 
in college, I have since shifted my focus, and that's because I've also been able to actually go out and experience different different people doing different things and seeing that and getting out of the bubble of college. And what I've been trying to do, especially in in mentoring some of these chapter leaders, is working with them specifically on how can they enhance their role, how can they enhance their chapter, but also how can they enhance their lives and get the most out of this experience. Where you... Um... You, you participated in, in college in a lot of different things. I, I've known you for a few years now, uh, and you rose to some pretty significant leadership positions. What, what's the temptation to try to, like, bring people into your own experience? Because I know that we can kind of sniff out our, you know leaders and try to pull them in directions. Maybe they're not ready to go or maybe they don't want to go. How are you handling that? That's been a challenge for me. I The big part of what we talk about when training for this job is to not talk about your experiences and not talk about your chapter experiences too much. There, there's obviously a degree where you can relate, you can share analogies, share stories. But what I've learned in specifically trying to mentor is that talking about my experiences aren't always as applicable to the people that I'm mentoring because everyone knows themselves and it's hard for them to get out of their sphere and think of how you made those decisions and how you you took on those experiences if they haven't experienced it for themselves. And we do something similar in counseling where we try to steer away from uh, experiential comparisons like, you know, we both went to a ball game, but we could walk away with a completely different understanding of it and steer more toward emotional, right? So... Uh, and the reason for that is that nobody can ever have the same experience. So you can say, oh, yeah, I was president of my chapter. You're president of your chapter. Here's what I would do. But the dynamics are so different and the personalities are so different. It, you could end up losing the person altogether in that conversation. You know, the eyes glaze over and they go, you know, shut up, old man. <laughs> old? I'm only a year older than you. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you carry that weight. So how do you how do you work through that? Because I'm, I'm thinking now in terms of somebody listening to this wondering, yes, how do you do that? How do you avoid talking about your own stuff in comparison what are some tips and techniques? Well, I haven't been 100% successful at this, and this is something <laughs> that I'm still learning because the easiest, the, the default, I think, for a lot of people, myself included, is to talk about my experience. When I was your age. <laughs> yeah, right, because that's what I've experienced, and that's what I know off the top of my head, easiest go-to. But for me, I've been trying to be more intentional about putting myself in their head and thinking, what is it that in a lot of these situations, I have an idea of where I'd like them to end up at the end of the conversation. I have an idea of what I'd like them to do at the end of the conversation. And I'm thinking in my head, what is the best way to get you to see what I'm seeing? And a lot of the times, the first thing I think about is, oh, well, I could share my experience, but I know that that's not the best thing for them to see. So trying to be more intentional and thinking about what is the best way for them to understand what I'm seeing and usually the first thing in my mind is not to go to my experiences. This sounds a lot like yield theory. Have you read Conti's newest book, Walking Through Anger? I have not. You should. Oh, for the listening audience, if you haven't read uh, Walking Through Anger by Christian Conti, it's less about actual anger and dealing with it. I mean, it does, but uh, it's more about understanding how your you and others tick around you and meeting people where they are. So it's very, very yield theory esque mm-hmm. uh, for somebody who hasn't studied it a whole lot. Cause I know you've, you've brushed up against it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, that's really, really good. And, and I think the, the important point is to, to steer away from self and toward the other person, right? To try to crawl into their head and try to imagine things with whatever information you know about the person, imagine life through their eyes. 
and it takes the the metaphor of you know walking a mile in a person's shoes a little bit further and actually being the other person so you can empathize with them and and speak in their way and if you automatically know you know with whatever information you have that sharing your personal story is going to turn them off you just you just don't go there mm-hmm. when you're doing this what's the receptivity because i know when i was a in school, like we, you know, the regional director RD, as we call him, would roll through, and it's like, oh, here comes the accountability guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> making sure we're not partying too hard, and mm-hmm. you know, the, the the chapter house isn't being set on fire. Um, you're you're approaching it differently. Uh, you're a little more evolved. You got a little more psychology under your belt than than the most of the guys that I've experienced. What's what's been the reception, and what are the results? There's there are times in the past where people in this role have taken a really professional a really professional characteristic and that doesn't always vibe well with college students and that that can be an initial tick to them that you're not one of me you mm-hmm. don't you don't understand where we're at where we're coming from so one thing that's been successful for me is just breaking down that professional wall and trying to just be one of the guys. And a lot of what we talk about and during training is that relationships drive results, right? I have this end goal that I want to get to, but I have to have a relationship to help these people get there. And how do you do that? I, for me personally, I for every, I'd say, three meetings that I have that are professional, I try and have one meeting that's just hanging out, getting to know the guys, and creating that relationship on a one-on-one level. And this job also provides a lot of opportunity for me to be there for them when they need me. When when things hit the fan, I'm the guy they call. So it, it already builds up that trust, and you have as long as you you can be relatable and you can understand and, and put yourself in their mindset, which should be easy to do, given that I just graduated a year ago and went through similar things. It, it's made it okay for me. It, it it hasn't been a struggle for me. If we could shift the conversation a little bit, I want to talk about the the tension between. Um, high performance in college the um the stress of financial commitment because college prices are skyrocketing and um and the interest attached is obscene and then the balance of trying to live a social life um i i would appreciate sharing your perspective on that we've talked you know in the past about this but what are you seeing in terms of like psychological distress and performance and um and that kind of thing within the Greek system, what is what I, I know decently well, it's easy with the, the high performing chapters that are doing everything right that I've worked with and they care about member development. They care about creating the best opportunities for their members in and after college. Those chapters don't look at their, their organization as an outlet they look at their organization as an opportunity. But where I see some of my lower-performing chapters, they have used the, the fraternity as an outlet. And it's not something that's in addition to them. So what I see there is that they are sometimes on more stressful campuses where the academic rigor is higher, or they're on state school campuses where they're working, they're commuting, and they're adding all these, these different... Um, different obligations in their life and relating that to my college experience I can say that I was very fortunate that I didn't have to worry about a lot of those things and I could focus on school and because I had that extra time I was able to take more on my plate in terms of my development and opportunities that I had to to grow myself but 
in doing that, I still have more on my plate, just like everybody is during college has a lot on their plate. And it's easy. The default, especially from what we've seen from movies like Animal House and that explain in American Pie, what that explain what this college experience is supposed to be is to have that default be drinking. Right. Yeah. Is it still drinking or are uh, other drugs creeping in? Yeah, I I mean, I can only speak to my four years of experience mm-hmm. in this extra year that I have had working with college students, but I think there's definitely more drugs there than when I initially what I initially thought college was going to be. When you think about this rise of popularity in festivals too, people mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. very willing to spend their money and go to these festivals, and and not for everybody, but for some people, these are associated with with drugs. Yeah, is it is it psychedelics or are people doing more? street drugs uh you know the the methamphetamines and uh yeah and heroin and that kind of thing or is it like designer stuff like what where's the breakout here yeah i haven't seen i haven't seen street drugs like meth and heroin being an issue i've seen a, a prevalence of coke in a lot of these college campuses i've seen a prevalence of adderall but that's probably assumed adderall really came on when i was just getting out in the yeah. early 2000s uh it was to help people study and focus. And now, now what I'm hearing is it's far more, it's almost common. Like, Mm -hmm. um, there's just bottles of Adderall or, or, you know, whatever, pick your, um, your stimulant prescribed psycho psychotropic stimulant Mm -hmm. to help people focus for their studying. And I'm trying to figure out it, and maybe there's multiple causations here, but is it because pressure has gotten so high for some reason, you know, mom and dad are applying pressure because they're the ones footing the bill to a higher degree than we ever saw when I was there 20 years ago. Or is it, you know, the instant gratification mentality where you, you know, you just, you just don't want to put in the real actual work effort and you'd rather just cram at the end of the, the week for the test. Or is it a combination of that plus social media plus social responsibilities and obligations that's eroding the, the work ethic and the study habits or is it just fun i like i don't know but it seems to be everywhere now like drinking was okay you know everybody's somebody's drinking every night of the week back in the day but it wasn't to excess now everybody's drinking to excess um back in the day you didn't have prescription drugs now everybody's got some sort of prescription drug back in the day it was a lot of weed and alcohol now it's coke (laughs) it's like everything's just kind of like on tilt now at least that's my perception from what i'm hearing from college students and i don't know if that perception is accurate because i only got one college to draw from right yeah i don't i think all variables are at play here i think whether it be from recreation to i didn't study all week and now i need to cram uh i i can't speak historically to how it's been but i know that it's it's more common than i thought it was going to be coming into college and yeah yeah and it's different with every single one of them too i mean because when i when the prevalence of coke when i was in college was much more around like partying having fun and this is like a treat as one would call it mm. but adderall was much more like yeah i'm going to the library for 8 hours i have a whatever milligram adderall that i'm going to take to and, and in my estimation it it's like that wasn't there at all now it is and it's it's become a a crutch are you, you've been around this for about 5 years now are you seeing an uptick or is it held stable? Like what's the usage overall? I don't know. It's hard to say. I myself didn't really partake in it. So right. I wasn't around it on a consistent basis. It was just when I saw it, I saw it. Um, yeah. 
I'm How trying to. What I'm trying to do here is wrap this back around to the suicide conversation earlier about mm-hmm. you know what led to um, the, the the elimination of the hazing system in Sigma Phi Epsilon and overall college stress because I've I've read multiple reports that um, anxiety and depression are up in college. Um, I don't know about deaths. I don't mm-hmm. know about suicide. I I know that suicide across the board in America is up across all demographics, um, particularly adolescents and seniors. But I don't know where that goes into the college crowd, and if this is just a if the use of of drugs and alcohol is in a way to stabilize oneself, you know, if that's the case, and that sucks because we're just adding more and more pressure to people. Um, but I, I don't know, I, and I'm just I'm just trying to tie things together, and maybe the listening audience has something to you know. Mm-hmm. If you're hearing this, write in info at naganotes.com. We'd love to hear from you. I want to get out of this little rut that we we mm-hmm. dove into, uh, that has apparently no solution. Talk to me about what's um, going on in the Greek system as a as a whole as it relates to involvement in campus. As I know that our own neighborhood campus here in in Reno has gotten a lot of friction with the the institution. The administration doesn't really apparently want student life around anymore or something. I should probably grab one of those administrators and have them on to talk about this because that's the appearance, at least to the public. What do you see in in the other 14 or 16 chapters that you're working with that, um, you know, insofar as like, is, is Greek life vibrant? Is it dying? Are people interested? Is there, you know, there's this, all this ta- tension of toxic masculinity and, mm-hmm. you know, how that plays out. So just, just speak freely about whatever you strikes you, I guess. Yeah. Speaking specifically to, to SIGEP or Sigma Phi Epsilon, we have seen it a best practice to partner with universities to the 100%. And what that does is Our host institutions, being in a good partnership with our host institution, can only amplify our experience. Being at odds with one another just creates an environment and a circumstances that aren't beneficial to our mutual goal, which is to develop students in in college for a successful life after college. And kind of what's going on with the culture nationwide is that the Greek organizations now are being called out for the things and the the sins of the past and the sins of the present as well. And maybe appropriately so. I mean, we haven't always been angels. I mean, this has been a nice plug for Greek life saying that we're developing leaders and all that, but that that wasn't always historically true. And Mm -hmm. we've got some serious black eyes on our our record. Yeah. And to this day, it's still not true to to the fullest extent, which is unfortunate because the opportunity that this sort of or that these organizations can have for men in college and women in college and anybody that this organization can serve is ripe for the taking yeah i mean i I think an appropriate analogy might be you know akin to like surgery you know like one in ten thousand people gets an infection in surgery and that's not a reason not to go have surgery and live a better life right Mm -hmm. so you know like think about how many millions of college students uh, are in the Greek system and pass through the Greek system, you know, over time. Uh, and yet we have these outliers of like, oh, this drunken guy fell off the stairs and, you know, hurt himself and somebody else along the way. It's like, yeah, but what about all the other ones that are like giving back to society and contributing to charity and like yeah. leading companies when they graduate because of the skills they learned? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sorry, I just had to drop no, that. No, absolutely. Yeah, so with with us being called out as a – 
system as a whole, it, it's created some some groups to be antagonistic towards their host institutions. And there, there's a lot of tension between the host institutions and some of these organizations right now, which has been unfortunate. And I, yeah, the, the Greek system as a whole needs to change and it needs to be better so that we don't have those outlier situations. And it's going to take a lot of cultural change to get there. So if you're listening and you're a parent, for example, of a, of a teenager and you know you're considering whether or not you push this person you know your your young teenager into joining a campus organization what's a what's a pitch for what somebody can do in college let's take it out of the, the greek lens for a second cuz you and i obviously have a, a slanted view that it's mm-hmm. it's very beneficial and it is what you make of it um but what else can people get involved in in college that will develop leadership habits my number one thing that i've been telling uh relatives siblings of friends that are going to college is to get involved in something find find something that you're passionate about or maybe something that you're not passionate about that you think is interesting and go be involved in it i think that the best way for you to develop is to find things outside of the classroom that are going to help help you gain a broader world perspective or be able to tighten up some of those hard skills in leadership, uh, intellectual, whatever, whatever those areas of development might be. It's probably just a good lesson for life in general, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Is your new job allowing you to, to take on many, um, endeavors that are outside of the, the things I know you travel a lot too. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Yeah, I live out of my car, so it's a, a little <laughs> bit challenging to find those opportunities. I just recently bought a guitar, so I'm trying mm-hmm. to learn guitar. That's been a nice outlet for me to just shut everything off and, and throw myself into something that I don't know, but I was interested in and trying to get better and, and grow with that every day. I think it's people go through life transitions at, at any stage, not just college, right? And so you went from hair on fire all over the campus, doing you know working four jobs and doing an internship and all sorts of stuff, to now you're just driving up and down the West Coast and uh, in your car, li- literally living out of your car. Mm-hmm. Um, with no home base, um, how do you find time for fun and frivolity and habits? You know, when when do you play this guitar? Right. Hopefully, you're not steering with your knees. <laughs> right, right. It's it's interesting. The job is great because I get to the. Well, frame it in this way: the pros of the job are I get to work on something that I'm very passionate about. I get to make my own schedule. I get to consult and be creative and find ways to help these chapters be the best they can be. The con is I'm on pretty much 24-7. Um, even if I'm just hanging out with someone to try to build a relationship, I'm still building a relationship to, to what end, to what impact, right? And it's always I am, to some of these people, the ideal SIGEP. So I always have to embody that. And I'm always, always, even if I'm not wearing a suit, I still have that suit in the back of my head that I'm wearing. But for me, I've struggled because I'm sure, I'm sure you know this, Jake, and having known me, I, I do take on a lot, and I'm okay throwing myself into this this massive work schedule and not setting aside time for myself. But it really I, fuels you. Yeah, it yeah. does. It does. It does. But I found that I'm not 100% effective if I don't pay myself first. So I'm starting to set those boundaries and figure out what are the ways in which I can set time aside for myself every day? And for me right now, that's playing 30 minutes to an hour of guitar every day. 
And that's what's been fulfilling for me. But even even then, I still have times like in between meetings where I'll just shut off, maybe go on a walk around a campus or go get a bite to eat and just turn my phone, turn my laptop off for a little bit and just have time to myself. As people gasp when you when you say that, like turn my phone and my laptop off. How can we do that? Yeah. And I think that's good uh, instruction for anybody who's walking the earth (laughs) because we all need to take time. How do you set those limits? Because you and I have had that conversation before mm-hmm. about how to set limits. How right. are you setting limits? What's a practical way for somebody listening to, to set limits in one's own life when it all seems like a number one priority all the time? Yeah. For me, I I typically go past my limits, realize I've gone past my limits, and then put myself in check again. That's honest. Yeah. But that is, that's been an ineffective way to have stability with my boundaries. What I've been lucky with is that I have 12 other people that are working the same job as me in a different region in the country, and they hold me accountable to it because they see it as well that I can sometimes work too much. So I, I have a good group of people that have my back and remind me of it. Um, my boss always reminds me of it as well. Like, what are you doing this week for yourself? That's always one of the first questions he asks. So it's been nice to have that that support around me. That's great to know they're not running into the ground from the top also. I'm sure right. that's a lesson that you translate to your your, um, I guess you say your followers who are the, the members of those chapters, are they listening? Are they paying attention? Are you helping them be, become mentally well as, as well? Trying to. That, that was a big, big learning lesson. Lesson learned for me was that I need to start with not work with a lot of these, these members of the chapters that I'm working with because they are, they always have a lot going on. They always do. And if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you got to start with security, food, water. Mm-hmm. Then you move up to, I, I don't know exactly how the pyramid moves up. Yeah, so if, uh, it's, it goes uh, basic needs, which is your food and water, and then it goes safety and security, which would be your shelter, and hopefully it's a safe one, mm-hmm. uh, like in a good neighborhood. And then uh, love and belonging. Then esteem needs, which is really where college is. College is esteem needs. Mm-hmm. And then uh, self-actualization is at the top. Right. So as, as I'm meeting with these people, if they are not doing well mentally, I can't get to that level four mm-hmm. in Maslow's hierarchy. I have to work my way up there. And, and I've been very intentional about doing that and making sure that the same support that I'm getting, I'm trying to pass that along to people because I've been grateful for it. I've seen how positively it's affected me. And I want to make sure that the people that are around me, I'm giving that same intention to them. What do you do for people who are struggling and don't have a good uh, boss, for example? You know, you, you're in that situation as you, you're sort of the boss, and uh, there's there's certainly leadership hierarchies. What about the underling, you know, who's like, oh, I don't think I'm going to make it, you know, I'm failing these classes, whatever. Do you ever have those conversations? And if so, what what did, what's your feedback? The most effective way that I've dealt with that is to – one, be a mentor, be there for someone. Simply by being there for someone, I think, already unlocks some sort of wellness for another. But also to help them, because I'm only in this role for one year. To set someone up for sustainable success, I need think you need to help them find other mentors. And that's, that's a really valuable thing that every time I come visit home or I come and visit Reno after being away, I'm reminded of how lucky I am to have so many great people in my life that are challenging me, pushing me to be the best I can be, and also supporting me along the way. So we talk about this concept of 
have a board of directors for yourself. Every company has a board of directors. It has people that are helping set the vision and guide it along a path. Everyone needs, every person needs a board of directors, needs someone that they can talk to to help them be guided along the way so that they're not just going through life by themselves and making mistakes along the way. It's okay to make mistakes, but if you can avoid some of those, and learn before you make those. It's it's a lot more valuable than than making every single mistake yourself. How does an 18 or 19-year-old find a board of directors? For me, I was very lucky having joined a chapter that had a, a, a fraternity that had so many mentors already lined up, but just ask. Just ask someone. If if you if there's someone in your life that you've identified that you think would be great to learn from, or that they, they embody some sort of characteristic that you want to be or you aspire to be, then ask them. Ask them to teach you. Ask them to mentor you. Most people will be will be grateful for the opportunity to teach others. That's true, by the way. Um, I've done it. I've done it for others, and mm-hmm. I've asked, and people have responded. So it is true. So I'm, I want to echo that and validate it. I guess in closing, because we're running up on time here a little bit, um, What's one thing that you would say to the listening audience? We've spent a lot of time talking about you know, fraternity, college, leadership. Um, what's one thing you would leave people with that's uh, maybe generally applicable that you've learned over the last six months maybe in your, in your travels that really surprised you that you didn't expect because you had a lot of leadership under your belt and you're a super smart dude and you're very self-aware and you work really hard and you expose yourself to a lot of things. What has surprised you the most that people could take away from this that maybe they won't get anywhere else? I think of the times that I was effective during college and times that I was ineffective during college. And the times that I was ineffective during college is when I had weaknesses that I did not recognize, did not get feedback for, and continued to fall into those those pits. What I learned towards the end of college that I wish I would have learned at the start of it is to read and to listen. So one of the books that I started reading was how to win friends and influence people. And that would dramatically change one of my weaknesses that was communication. And it's something that I'll always be working on. But from there, I realized there were so many things that I was doing well that the book talks about, but then there were a lot of areas of opportunity that I was not capitalizing on. And I was not recognizing because I had never gotten that feedback. Not a lot of people are willing to give feedback. And I think a lot, a lot of people are willing to receive it either, mm-hmm. you know, cause like, like you just said, you you realize in the book, there's a lot of areas you were doing really well in. Mm-hmm. And I think we, our confirmation bias tends to gravitate to those and go, yeah, yeah. Look how awesome I am. Norman mm-hmm. Vincent Peale told me so. Yeah. Uh, it's like Norman Vincent Peale also told you to look at these other things. <laughs> right. So, uh, is the takeaway that people should be humble and receive feedback? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, feedback is scary. It is. It's scared to be confronted with things you're not good at. I remember well, it means you got to let go of what you think you know. Yeah, right. And when I was, I remember when I was reading that book, it was it was cool to read the things that I was already doing well. But I remember being very frustrated reading the things that I did not do well, trying to go out and do them well, and failing, mm-hmm. and then having to come back, read the book over, and try and learn again what I did wrong, and then going out and failing, and then coming back having to read. It, it was it was a very frustrating time. And every time I read a new book that will hopefully expose me to areas of opportunity for myself. I, I continue to be frustrated, but 
that failure is growth. And but it's not it's not just reading. I don't want to I don't want to just boil it down to books. It's also that board of directors and having podcasts. People. Always yeah. podcasts. podcasts. More too. podcasts. Yeah, listening, <laughs> listening, and and listening to those. If a podcast is your board of directors, great. Whatever you have to do to to get the best feedback to improve and and be willing to prove improve is. I think the best thing you can do, especially during these developmental years. That's super good. And I don't want to drag it out. That was a great way to end the show. Thank you very much for making time. I know you're only in town for a few days before you hit the road again. Um, I I'm surprised. I thought it was a two year gig, but it's one, one year. Yeah. Huh, fascinating. Well, thanks. Congratulations on the success. Um, I know you just uh, accepted a new job too. That's pretty yeah. sweet. And, um, uh, if you're listening to this around the holidays, happy holidays because we're recording it in December. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, everybody. On behalf of the Naganotes team and the Zephyr Wellness family, we wish you all great mental wellness. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thank you.